some impulse spending came back this week. But that's that's kind of it's the cool than, part. Better than impulse drinking. True. For me, it is because impulse spending isn't going to kill me. It yeah. might destroy the relationships I have in my life. So at least I got that going for me. Which is nice. Which is nice. The good news is is we're, we are about progress, not perfection. And we recognize the fact that we're going to step in a pile every once in a while. We have a process for how we clean it up. You didn't buy a travel trailer. I didn't. What is financial sobriety? Well, first, I'm Jim Gebhardt. Oh, I'm Matthew Grishman. That's good. We should introduce ourselves. And this podcast is all going to be about three relationships that really, when you stop and you think about them, you don't think they go together. But it's your relationship you have with money. It's the relationship you have with people who mean the most to you. And ultimately, the relationship you have with yourself. So I might imagine that those three relationships are somewhat wrapped together. That when one gets a little out of whack, perhaps it has an effect on the others. Stick around and you'll find out. How do we want to kick this off? I think we need to kick today off with some gratitude. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. I like when we start the show that way. So what are you grateful for today? Thank you for asking. I am grateful to be here today, to be in studio, because there's so much happening in the world today that is giving me this... I don't know how to describe it. I guess I'll just go back to my old Yiddish and call it spilkas. I've got this... All concerts that are you can go to now and the restaurants that are reopened, you mean? Oh, I wish that were what spilkas was. Not not going to the Rose Garden here in the spring in Sacramento with no mask on? Well, those are all options. Oh, okay. Those all are That's options. That's not really that, spilkas, though. No, those would bring me great joy. What I mean by spilkas is just some heavy anxiety in, in what's going on in the world today. I'm, I'm going to be uh, the best version of a real human being that I can be today and, and speak truthfully about how I feel about what's going on in the world today and, and how that's affecting me. And, and my gratitude is, is that we have this space that allows us to do this, where we can do that. We, we've created our own reality. We live in the world that you and I choose to live in, but at the same time, we're still connected to the world that exists. Certainly. So I'm grateful for the reality that you and I have created. I'm grateful that I get to sit in this anxiety and not have to do anything to push it away, to try to force it away. I'm grateful that I can take some steps backward like I did last weekend in my own pursuit of financial sobriety where impulse spending came back a little bit to me this weekend. What I'm grateful for is that I have a process of how to make that right, of how to fix that, of how to... A return policy? Yeah. In effect, it's like my own return policy, even though the stuff that I bought is... Final not, sale? Is final sale. Ah. Yes. There, there's a way emotionally... And it probably wasn't like holiday wrapping paper? No. Okay. No, no. It, gotcha. was, it was stuff for the house. Okay, good. So I'm really grateful for what we do and the fact that we've given ourselves permission to slip up, make mistakes, and just like the autopilot we've always talked about on the airplane... We've got a system that helps us get back on course. So I'm not beating myself up. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that I have a relationship with myself where I allow myself to make mistakes and I afford myself a little grace in that. And I still look in the mirror with unconditional acceptance. And, and I'm grateful that that is something that is firmly implanted in me. That is beautiful. Yeah. What are you grateful for today? You brought up grace. I did bring up grace. So I'm going to talk about our daughters, Grace and Emily. Mm. And... The extraordinary gratitude I have to, in, in Emily's case, who's a swimmer at San Diego State University, 
kind of against all odds, they won their big Mountain West Swim Conference. So what does that mean? In the context of life, it means nothing. But in the context of her life and, and the team that she's on, it's everything. It is their Super Bowl. Against the backdrop of the better part of two years of training restrictions due to COVID, all kinds of injuries, all kinds of uh, swimmers on the team, the coaches both had COVID. For them to persevere through all of that in a world where we have allowed mediocrity, and we're going to talk a lot about that today, to just kind of be the new norm and to rise above that and to be witness to that and, and watch them break their own record in terms of points scored, it was absolutely the thrill of a lifetime. Certainly as her dad, as my mother would say, did you have any buttons left on your shirt? <laughs> That's a new padism. And to connect the dots on that, because you're so proud and you're just all the sure. buttons just burst off your shirt. Right? Sure. Of course, the shirts that Nick the Taylor would make. You. No, no, God bless. Those, those wouldn't. No, break. those are not mediocre. No, but the ones you buy off the shelf that are mediocre, those buttons are popping left and right yeah, when you're like, sitting in college Kind of like popcorn. Yeah, exactly. Then the grace element is she had her first college lacrosse game. And we're going to talk a lot about the concept of performance anxiety today Mm. and and this pursuit of excellence. And she was a bit of a mess all week long. and In preparation of the game. In preparation, in anticipation of the game. We were not able to be at the game. We were flying back from the swim meet. She knocked the cover off the ball. In, in lacrosse terms, she had six points. She had three goals and three assists. Literally, she knocked the rubber off of the lacrosse ball. Right, exactly. In basketball terms, that would be like, you know, a 30-point game. Oh, wow. As a freshman, you're not supposed to do that, right? You're not. So in her just, rookie season, she's not supposed to her, be like— In her inaugural game, she's right. not supposed to do that. <laughs> so the pride again, thank God I had another shirt to put on because those buttons would have come off. Is just it, it's the gratitude is just that they are out chasing their dreams. They are out chasing excellence, and the pursuit of excellence is unattainable. It's like chasing the horizon, yeah. right? You can never get there, right? It's it's the journey. It's, it's all about the journey. Yeah, and I have an extraordinary amount of gratitude that our our girls are doing this in in both their cases. But let's pick on Emily. I mean, they always talk about the blood, sweat, and tears. It couldn't be more literal in the blood and sweat, tears, and I would go so far as to say puke. So one of the girls swam the 400 IM. You as a former swimmer uh, know that the 400-yard individual individual medley means you have to swim 100 yards of each stroke, the butterfly, the breaststroke, the backstroke, and the freestyle consecutively. Otherwise known for our older listeners as the crawl. Right. Yeah. Well, she won it. She's actually a local a local kid here from Greater Sacramento, and she won it. Wow. She got out of the pool, and my sister—I didn't see this myself, but my sister was watching it on live stream, and she texted me, and she's like, is Christina okay? And I didn't know what she was talking about. Well, she got out of the pool, and she literally, like, crawled up out of the pool, got down on her hands and knees, and started to puke. Oof. And that just tells you what it takes sometimes to, to chase excellence. Right, your willingness to be able to go above and beyond being comfortable, to where you're puking in front of or bleeding or yeah. injured or so a long-winded answer to gratitude, but it's also kind of the tee up into our conversation today. Yeah, because we live in such a time and place 
And some of it's understandable, but then other parts are, it's also not excusable in this context of mediocrity and the world having an unbelievably serious, deadly backdrop of a pandemic. But unfortunately, I think in a lot of cases of, of businesses that you and I have experienced, is it's crept in once again, right? It's like, it's just as, as nasty and vicious as this virus is, this COVID-19 virus and the pandemic that it, that it has created, the same applies, in my opinion, to mediocrity. It's a virus. It's a virus yeah. that has snuck back in. Yes. Why do you think that's the case? Why do you think well, now more just, than ever? It's just easy to let the guard down and and just, eh, yeah, the shipment didn't get here. Sorry. Call, so, us, call us next week. Maybe I called. Here you go. I called a, a local auto repair shop for our daughter's Honda to have a, an oil change. And the, the greeting on the mechanic's phone was just like one litany of excuses after the other. The first two times I called, the voicemail box was full. So I tried calling a week later. I got somebody. I got, it sounded like the owner. I said, yeah, I've got a 2018 Honda HRV. Just need to bring it in for an oil change. Just wanted to, oh, yeah. Can you call back in like a week or two? We don't have any oil. Hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, really? Did I miss the memo? Is the world out of oil? So it's just, it's a silly example. But we've just, I don't know. I mean, how many restaurants have you gone to where they're not open on this particular day? And then I get some of this. Is, is staffing is an issue, right? Right. Where did all those people go? Right. What it's led to these staffing issues, these supply shortages. I mean, yet yes, there. To, to answer your question, and I know you asked it rhetorically, is there no oil left in the world? Of course, there's oil left in the world, but obviously there there are some things happening in the geopolitical landscape that is tightening the supply of the oil that's available to us. There are things that have happened here domestically on the North American continent politically that have limited the amount of oil, right? This whole Keystone Pipeline project that was supposed to open up all sorts of fossil fuel reserves that the current administration has shut down. I mean, there are definitely reasons why the supply chain is what it is. And I guess part of what's what what I've been challenged with, and, and I know you and I have talked about this a little bit, and, and I'd like to explore this some more, is the idea of being able to accept the supply chain shortages, the staffing shortages, but yet we don't have to become okay with them in our own lives. Like, we can accept them as part of this society that we have to be part of. And if you and I choose to go out to dinner one night, or you and I choose to have somebody else do the oil changes in our car for us, that there are going to be some delays. There, The level of service, the level of attentiveness, the level of the quality of work that's being done may not be up to the standards we would normally hold people to. There's a way, I think, that we can accept that reality of what's going on out there. I don't want to. I understand. I'm paying for it. Well, that's your choice, isn't it? I got to get an oil change. Okay. I'm just having a little fun with you and, sure. and pushing back on this acceptance bullshit. Right. And I'm, I'm pushing back on you on the fact that if you're going to choose to have somebody else change your oil versus perhaps you and your sons learning that's how to do it funny. yourself. That would be I know, really funny. I know. But the fact is you're starting to get attached to the outcome of other people that you have no control over. Right. I'm not saying you have to be okay with it. I'm not. You, you don't have to be. You shouldn't be. Because the minute we become okay with it, it starts creeping into our own lives. Exactly. And, and I've caught myself 
becoming okay with it at times. And it allowed me this weekend to go out and have some mediocre behavior, uh, you know, acting like every other shopper who's got nothing better to do on a Saturday but go antiquing and spending money that really doesn't need to be spent. That's how the virus gets in. Oh, oh, absolutely. But there is a way to accept that it exists and not be attached to it on the outside. And I, I actually believe it's that detachment with acceptance and love and okay without judging it that allows us—it's it's the paradox behind how we protect our own desire for excellence. It's the paradox behind how we protect our own confidence in times of crisis like this, where I can accept that you choose mediocrity for your life, but I don't have to choose it for myself, and I don't have to be okay with it. But I can accept it because guess what your choices are? Oh, I can go somewhere else. They're outside of my hula hoop. The vaccination shot is financial sobriety. The elixir to the virus is the curriculum of financial sobriety. So how do we tie that back? How do I live surrounded by mediocrity? I'm demanding excellence of myself and and, sure. and those that I lead. Sure. But how do I not get this attachment? Because I, I, I get pissed off a lot now. Yeah. I have never been one to get pissed off. You've been more pissed off the last couple of years. But I have been more pissed off the last sure. two years at the level of mediocrity that I see everywhere. Yes. I get that. Absolutely. So how do I that. help me? How do I detach from that? We have to be able to, if we choose, so if tonight you and your family chooses to go out to dinner, it goes back to that conversation we had. It was a chapter we wrote in the book Financial Sobriety on the idea of expectations versus unrealistic demands. What has been the history the last two years of going out to dinner as it relates to service and staffing? It's been on a 45-degree decline. It's been awful. So history tests. Remember, there, there are two components to being able to look at how I feel about a situation to determine whether I have a realistic expectation or an unreasonable demand. And, and the first thing is that history test. What has been the historical pattern, at least of late, about some of these things happening out there? And then the second test is how much control do I have over it? So if history tells me that service has been awful simply because of some of these staffing shortages and supply chain issues, and I have very little control over that, but yet I have an expectation that service is going to be what it would be if I were in charge of making that decision, you're setting yourself up for a lot of frustration, and you're attaching yourself to an outcome that you've always been the first person to teach me that the key to happiness, the key to contentment, is to control what I have within my own hula hoop and detach from every outcome. I mean, look how we do this within our own practice. Sure. We're, we have people coming to us on a daily basis asking us for guidance on how to interact with their money, decisions with their money. And one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, this, this was uh, an answer I offered this morning. I had the privilege of, of being a guest on another podcast called, nice. the, called the YI Network. The podcast is called the Why I Network. Why? Why? Capital I. I Network. Network. Okay. It's hosted by Kojo Thompson. He does a beautiful job. And the whole theme of the podcast is to honor the two most important days of our lives. The day we're born. Oh. And the day we find out why. Where have I heard that before? I don't know. We may have to go back in the financial sobriety Rolodex. There may huh. have been some mention of that at some point. I think I... I, I think I resemble that remark. Absolutely. And one of the choices I got to make was to participate in a podcast that is all about excellence. 
It's all about being the very best at what you do. And the whole purpose of the podcast is to introduce young listeners to a variety of different career options that exist out there today. So I was being interviewed as a financial advisor today. And what was so attractive to being part of this podcast was its emphasis on excellence, or for those who don't understand our language completely, Matt and Jim. the emphasis, Yeah, right? It was an incredible experience. What was so cool about being on the show today was one of the questions he asked me was about my most favorite and least favorite parts of my job mm-hmm. and what I do as a financial advisor. When I can he, tell you mine. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Would you like to tell me now? Yeah, changing the oil on my car. Oh, there you go. That's yeah. your favorite part or your least favorite part? Oh, that's part? my least favorite part. Oh, what's your favorite part? Having somebody else change the oil on my car. Oh, there you go. I thought you were going to say changing the oil on one of your client's cars. <laughs> no, they, don't want me, they don't want me doing that for sure. <laughs> well, one of my least favorite parts of our job is telling the truth to our clients. Now, I'm not talking about is that just more spilkus? I mean, it, is that just the, the uh, you know, in my language, that would be agita. Well, it, what I mean by telling them the truth, I don't mean telling them the truth from a standpoint of what you and I are doing. I mean telling them the truth as it relates to what they're doing, as far as their choices and their behaviors with their money and how their choices could lead to very dangerous outcomes. It's hard for me to do that because sure. I'm somebody who at a very unconscious core level wants to be liked. And I've got this fear that if I tell you the truth, I tell you that, no, you really can't take that vacation because it kind of screws up your financial plan and you might run out of money one day because of that spend today. Right. That's very hard for me to do with a client. Sure. But I've also learned that in the world of mediocrity, it's all about complacency. It's all about making people feel good and feel okay. And it would be so much easier to just tell our clients what they want to hear. The quick fix. Yes. But something you've taught me is this idea of detaching from outcomes. And what by detaching from the decisions and choices that our clients make and not making them impactful in my life, meaning if client A chooses not to take my guidance and use their money in a way that could be dangerous— I have to be okay with that so my head hits the pillow with peace at night. Sure. No different than the doc who tells you to lose weight, stop smoking, and exercise, and you don't. Right. And he goes about his day just fine. He He doesn't get uh, attached to that outcome. He or she has to. Exactly. Otherwise, you couldn't get out of bed in the morning because of the weight that you would be carrying from all these decisions. Yes. So I, I, I think in the spirit of what you've taught me about our business and raising children as fathers and being husbands to our wives, that same idea of detachment from outcomes goes exactly to your point about the frustration you're experiencing in the service that you get As out a there. retail customer. Because you have choices. One of the choices that you have is that I don't have to go out and have dinner tonight. I can go search some of the different beautiful food stores that I have in my community. And even with the supply chain issues, my choice is I can go to multiple stores to find the items that I want to cook a beautiful meal in my house. Which we've been doing a tremendous amount of. Fantastic. So if if you find yourself getting very frustrated by the services that you choose to use your money to go out into the world and get, and we look at the history of what's been happening, we look at how little control we have over that, 
we start to ask ourselves, should I be detaching from these outcomes or should I let them emotionally rip through me like a tornado? I don't. Relatively speaking. Yeah. You, you don't become like the tornado, but you've definitely been more pissed off the last year and a half than oh, I've absolutely. seen you in the 20 years I've known you. I've, I'm very agitated. Yeah. Partly because we're not living in the reality that I've spent 50 years in. Yeah. And it is it is evolved, or may I say devolved, into a new way of living that I don't I don't care for. I am having an extraordinarily difficult time detaching from the outcome or the expectation because it's kind of the only lens that I, I see with my glasses is I have always been attracted to excellence. Okay. I've always been attracted to craftsmanship. I've yep. always been attracted to the best. Yep. Whatever that is. Whatever it is. Sports, as, cars, as food, as clothing. You're, as you're talking about it, I'm I'm thinking of I was about, I don't know, call it sixteen. And in Syracuse there was a shoe company called Nettleton's. Hmm. Long out of business. I don't remember that. Nettleton's had a factory in downtown Syracuse where they made the shoes. Probably too good of shoes to make it out to Port Byron 30 miles away. Uh, no, you probably just had to go there. I, I'm sure uh, there wasn't a distribution option for that. Yeah. And it was like a four or five story factory, and they had a you know they had a shoe store in the bottom, and then the shoes were made up above. And I have some unique aspects of my physiology where I have a leg that's shorter than the other, and I need a lift. And so my parents brought me there to have a shoe adjusted in the heel so that, you know, I'd walk a little bit more normally. Well, oh my gosh. I remember they were penny loafers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that was like the first time that I'd ever experienced something that was beautifully handmade. Yeah. These aren't, you know, they're not exotic. They're not designer, but they were beautifully handmade. And, and that triggered something in me that I, it took me a very long time, all these years later to look back on and go, Oh, my God, I'm attracted to that. Yeah. Well, what I found, because you and I are not the only ones, and that that's one of the other pieces of gratitude that I have today, is that you and I are not the only two business owners who subscribe to this concept of excellence and separating ourselves from the reality that we live in. We continue to choose to run our business with a level of service and dedication to responding to the needs of our clients, no different than we did prior to the pandemic. Now, fortunately, you and I don't rely on the supply chain as much as some of the other businesses yes. in society. Yes. But and I have a great amount of compassion and empathy for those businesses that don't have oil. Right. Oh, absolutely. I think part of the challenge is, is that we as people who subscribe to the idea of trying to live up to this idea of excellence is that it just it makes our jobs harder to go out into the world and seek out those businesses that are able to still run their business with excellence and not allow mediocrity, not allow the supply chain issue to bring them down into that world of mediocrity because those businesses still exist. Those restaurants exist. Those stores exist. They do. Those mechanics exist. And it just means we've got to work harder to find them. I'm finding personally that the mediocrity and the supply chain issue is much deeper in some of these bigger institutions, these bigger corporations that are heavily dependent upon the supply chain and are starting to lose touch with the human relationship and the human element. But those local stores in your community that source 
their products, their services, their supplies from the local environment. It's like taking that whole farm to fork concept and bringing it to the different businesses it's, in your community. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, the, the those are the businesses we're we're always looking to support and looking to find. That's the blessing that that we're finding is that Amy and I are doing a lot more business transactions within our local community with local business owners, less on Amazon, less with the big box retailers. We're going to the little farm stands to get our fruits and vegetables rather than the big stores. We're, we're going to the little mom-and-pop shops, to the different clothing stores when we need to replace clothing items. Yeah, and what's beautiful about that is that it in the theme of the show is that you're being intentional with your money. Yes, most of the time, yes. Yeah, well, most of the time is better than <laughs> not, Yeah. right? How it used to be. So one of the interesting byproducts of this you know, rise in mediocrity is, and I'm curious if you have this sensation that I do, is that... The plumbing sometimes gets a little backed up, and it starts to seep sneak into me. Yeah, Metamucil will help you with that. Oh, not not kale? Nah, I'd go Metamucil. Okay. Well, I, I can't get kale because— The supply chain. Yeah. Right. The whole concept of pursuing excellence versus mediocrity, and when mediocrity starts to wind, what I find is that it starts to affect my self-confidence. Hmm. Tell me more. It starts to just— chisel away at my own my own game the the, the level that I want to play at I, sl- I I can slough off a little because others make it okay yeah the thought can creep in that it, every once in a while it's okay for you it seeps in and you, then it starts to erode a little bit and it's then it starts to you know take over a little bit on the concept of well maybe maybe I'm not I'm not good enough to chase excellence well, now you're Who now is? you're finding some gold, brother. Because oh yeah, one, one of the questions I I was getting ready to ask you is, and we we've talked about this before. It's a real hard one to truly believe in our innermost. But I think if we really search within ourselves and we really think deeply, any time something out there irritates me, what I've learned to do is realize that, okay, this feeling, this irritation that I have, it's my feeling. I'm responsible for it. Sure. That thing out there, that that restaurant that didn't live up to my expectations, sure. Sure. didn't cause this feeling inside of me. Right. It may have triggered it, right. but it didn't cause it. Keyword, so, trigger. Trigger, right. Mm-hmm. So what's causing this feeling in me? And I am a big believer. This is something that We can validate through most of the basic psychology 101 textbooks that exist in the world. But at the end of the day, if there is an emotion like anger or irritation, resentment, disgust, uh, anxiety, and any of those feelings that are triggered by something we see outside of us, generally, I like to say, if you spot it, you got it. So what is it in that lack of service that is reflecting back to you some defect of character that you have inside of you that either still exists to some level, or if it doesn't exist anymore, perhaps there's still a little bit of shame and guilt over how it existed in you in the past. This and, one, and this you haven't one's dealt easy. with it. This one's easy. Okay. Is You're letting it creep into your life now a little bit. Exactly. So a reflection of hence, you. Hence the frustration and anger. Ah. Oh, so yeah. it's really less about... The car guy not having oil as much as it is about it showing well, you where, how mediocrity is coming into your life. Where have I allowed it to seep in? Very good. Now we're getting somewhere, Thank brother. Thank you, Dr. Freud. Yeah, you got it. That's why we're having this conversation is 
to put the spotlight on where is it seeping into your life? Yeah. And what the hell are you going to do about it? Right? So what, what I've been doing about it is I've been trying to eat better. I've been trying to exercise more. Good boy. I've been trying to sleep, not more, but I've been trying to, you know, improve my quality of sleep with, you know, habits before bedtime. Yeah. Habits when I wake up. And I meditate a lot more. Our friends at Calm. Some of where this conversation comes from today on self-esteem and protecting your confidence and especially yeah when mediocrity is creeping in all of those little subtopics and subtitles came from a calm from a few days ago on self-esteem in that sense with how much anxiety is in the world today how much pressure and uncertainty is in the world today relative to what you're talking about in terms of this we we can't have an expectation of a business doing a certain thing and get attached to that. Otherwise, we, you know, we'll, we'll be likely severely disappointed, right? Right. I struggle with that. We'll just put that off to its side. I struggle with that, you know, lack of attachment sometimes. But in the sense of self-esteem, we had a show like this back in March of 2020, and here we are again having a little March madness, and it's not basketball. Right. Funny how March is the new October, right? <laughs> right. October always used to be the, the, the little, 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 little month for the stock market, and now it's, it's been becoming potentially March again. Obviously, yeah. March is unfolding. But, yeah. And so what do you do in crazy times to protect your confidence? Because that's what we have to be working on as leaders. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say leaders in the context of whether it's your family, whether it's your business, whether it's your community, whether it's your tribe, whether whatever it is. If you see yourself as a leader, there are going to be times when your confidence wanes. Even if you don't see yourself as your leader, but again, looking honestly at your own life, are there people who come to you? Are, are you influential that, to other people in your life? That either you're responsible for. Or influential or to. Or very influential to. Yeah. So irregardless of what you may think as far as labeling yourself a leader, if you check the box on either of those two things, guess what? You're a leader. Right. So there are going to be times when your confidence is impacted. And I, I always go back to, you know, the, the concept that we learned a number of years ago on key performances and that everyone in their life has key performances, critical performances. And how do we focus on getting ourselves prepared for those performances? So way back in the show, I was talking about Grace's lacrosse game. Right. And the, you know, the agita she was having throughout the week getting ready for that game, doubting herself if she was ready for the game. All of the self-doubt and and not so much self, I guess some of it is self-esteem, but the self-doubt around her ability to perform. And so what did dad do? Dad just shared different experiences in my life when I have felt that way, whether it was a sports analogy, going back to my days being a competitive golfer, or if it's on days when I'm with meetings all day and I have performance anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I think the, you know, kind of raising the awareness that in, in your day-to-day life, it is very natural to feel performance anxiety. Especially in times like these when mediocrity is so prevalent. And, and it's there's stress everywhere. And there's stress and, and it's affecting our self-esteem and how we view ourselves. So some of our listeners may not know who Henry Fonda was. Jane Fonda is his daughter. 
She's a remarkable woman, and I'm sure she's still doing remarkable things. Well, she she's basically the woman credited with this whole, you know, all this these exercise videos and, you know, everything that we can get online. Going back into the probably 70s or 80s. Yeah, I mean, she started all that with VHS cassettes. Right. Her father, Henry Fonda, was a stage and screen actor. for One of the greatest of all time. One of the absolute goats. And there's a wonderful little backstory on how... At the age of 75, he was going out on stage for a performance. I wish I knew what the performance was. But the beautiful part is it doesn't matter what the performance was. Right. This is a man who had spent the vast, probably 60 of those 75 years or better, performing. So this wasn't new to him. He wasn't trying something completely different. This is, this is something that he had done at a very high level for decades. Yeah. You know, before he would go out on the stage, they always had to have this thing. Yeah. It was a bucket. On the floor, and it was a bucket. Yeah. And what was the bucket for? It was for him to puke in. <laughs> right. And the reason that's so important is he had extraordinary performance anxiety after 60 years of doing it. But what did he know about that? What did he learn from that performance anxiety that most people who subscribe to a world of mediocrity, they get that anxiety in their gut. They're going to puke before they have to do what they have to do, whether whether it's showing up as a parent who needs to be there for your children, whether and it's showing up— And have a very up, difficult conversation right. with them or someone else. Yep. Parent, a spouse, at work. I mean, we can define these performances simply as when we show up for the people in our life— and have to be the best version of ourselves we can be for the benefit of being helpful to that person. What Henry Fonda learned about that performance anxiety was instead of running away from it and preventing him from engaging fully in that performance, he learned how to use that as a signal that something beautiful was about to happen because he cared. He cared about the outcome. He cared about being the very best he could possibly be. And as a result, that created a feeling, a sensation in his body that somehow in his genius acting brain of his, he was able to detach from what his brain was telling him it was, which is, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. Go run away, Henry. To let me lean into this, because when I feel this, this is an indication that something great is about to happen. It forced him to be human. I experienced this last night. I experience it almost every day. Last night, I spoke in front of a group of 25 people on this very concept of detachment. That was the topic of the talk. I was brought in to share my experience with what detachment looks like in my life. It was something that was sprung on me just a day before. Hey, could you could you speak at this event? Friend of mine called me up. We got a bunch of people coming in. The topic is detachment. Could you come in and talk? Oh boy. Yeah, sure. I'd love to, right? When I'm asked to do something like that, my automatic response is yes because I've learned what to say no to so that I can say yes to these opportunities right. to come speak in front of groups of people. And your first immediate reaction you just did it. I mean, you just you just showed it what what it what it was. Yeah, which was oh boy. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Oh, I, so I, slow it down. Yeah. Slow down. Play that little tape for a second. I don't want to do this because I'm not prepared. I'm not ready. This is too soon. I I, I don't want to. 
I don't want to open myself up in front of a group of people I don't know. This is this is scary. Right. Right. That that, that was tape, the that's thought the process. Right. The scary monster comes running in and floods you with all of those I can't, I shouldn't, I'm not prepared, I'm not good enough, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Right. But subtly, before those thoughts happened, there was a physical sensation inside my kind of my solar plexus, kind of right. I'm trying to show you, like, right here between my stomach and my chest where— Button three I, and four. Button three and four, I felt this, like, twisting in my chest. It was a feeling. My brain hijacked that feeling and decided to start labeling it, when, in fact, that wasn't really the label that accurately described what this feeling truly is. Which was? This is the right thing to do. When that feeling of angst comes in, what that tells me is, is I have an opportunity to go be real— and be vulnerable, and be human. What's the point of that? Oh, man, come on. You can't take your eyes off real. Right? I know. We, I mean, exactly. How, reality TV has taken over our lives. Why? Because we're so attracted to real. Now, so much of reality TV has become scripted garbage, but the ones that have truly remained reality— Like Ozark. Exactly. <laughs> the, the reality TV is, is, is fascinating to me. Because it's real. And so, so what I've started to learn how to do, even though my head was trying to tell me, my thoughts were trying to confuse my feelings and reinterpreting my feelings as something negative, which would give me excuses to accept this mediocrity and check out, and now I've got excuses as to why yeah, I, I can't be there. Yeah, I got to organize my sock drawer. Yeah, I got a thing, right? I, I got to, yeah, see a guy. Yeah, I got to hang antiques in my house, right? Clearly. But instead, I leaned into what that was, I showed up, I was really anxious and nervous giving the talk, and I allowed that anxiety to just come through in my talk, this discomfort that I was feeling. I didn't think my talk went all that well. I felt like I was all over the board. I kind of went Jedi on the talk. I, I didn't script out what I was going to talk. I allowed life to be its own preparation. I took a couple of deep breaths. I try to tap into my higher power, the universal thing that's out there, and I just asked, okay, just channel through me what needs to be said, and I just let it rip. And it, that's a, that's the beautiful thing about giving that kind of a performance. Yes, yes. And the feedback tapping, that I got was awesome. Sure. It was awesome. And in the same way that we shouldn't attach ourselves to the outcome, I really try to detach from the feedback. Right. Because if I'm giving the most authentic version of myself. If I'm giving the very best of what I can give someone, I can't have any expectation of them giving me a kudo. Yeah. Right? But that's the thing that I love about the Henry Fonda story is that awareness that he had that something right. beautiful was about to happen. Right. What it is instead of what Some it is. Some magic was about to happen. Yes. That's what I think any of us and all of us can do to kind of help ourselves is to embrace that that feeling that you had last night in button three and button four on stepping into that and not just running from it because in the theme today of mediocrity and doing something different about it is lean into it versus run away from it. Sure. Absolutely. Walk toward it instead of run away from it. This was a concept. I took some martial arts years ago, Israeli hand-to-hand -hand kind of combat martial arts. And one of the very basic premises, it's a system called Haganah very similar to a more common known program called Krav Maga. This, oh, yeah, I've heard of that, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I would imagine Sorry, not some, so, of, not so much. some of our listeners will. Krav Maga is, is something that 
is more commonly taught in a lot of the different Taekwondo and karate schools around the country. Wow. It's a different kind of Middle Eastern approach to self-defense okay. where you're using a number of what's called open hand techniques to defend yourself. Haganah is something more directly tied to the Israeli military and something they're using more actively today in the field as a way to have self-defense in the hand-to-hand combat world that a lot of those soldiers face on a daily basis. One of the very basic premises that you learn in the beginning of the class is that the human flinch factor is not something you can be rid of yourself. But what you can learn to do is instead of flinching away, you can learn how to flinch forward. So as that flinch reflex comes in, instead of flinching away and backing all the way from the microphone like I just did, I can learn through action, not thinking. I can't think my way into a different flinch, but I can act my way into flinching forward. And my simple thinking, training the muscle to do something different. Correct. Because the whole premise in this system— Muscle memory. Yeah, is that if somebody is coming to attack you— The way to properly defend yourself is actually closing the gap between you and that person, which puts you in a position to then take offense and protect yourself. It's not what your opponent would expect from you. They expect you to flinch back and flinch away, which allows them to come on the offensive and attack. In this case, the flinch forward closes that gap, something they don't expect, and now you're in the offensive position to disarm your opponent. It goes absolutely to our theme of going counter to the culture. Completely. I love it. Counter to it. So when I Maybe have I need feelings, a new exercise uh, program and I should embrace some Haganah. Little Haganah, or if you have to, I you like Haganah's. Oh, Haganah's is delicious. But it's not anything like that? No. So with that emotional feeling that I'm feeling that initially wants me to flinch away, but I'm learning how to flinch forward, how to lean into it. I love that because the whole world is flinching away. Oh. Well, and retreating. That, and retreating into whatever cave they are most comfortable in. That's what I think so many of us are seeking is a greater level of comfort because of all the chaos. Well, let's spend a few minutes. So y- you and I have talked a lot about what's going on in the world, the culture of mediocrity that exists out there, the reality of excellence that we've been co-creating together in our business life, our personal lives, our family lives— and how that, at times, that mediocrity has crept in. Let's talk about what you and I have learned from some of the very best in the world on how Henry Fonda does what he did, how you and I have learned how to lean into this. How do we deal with mediocrity when it creeps in and we start second-guessing ourselves? You know, what, what are some of those things that we've done to protect our confidence every day, especially in times like this, where even the mediocrity that lives out there starts creeping into our own lives. Yeah, it's 10 times more important to do it when the stress levels are a Category 4 or 5 hurricane that's coming, or come, it's here. There's no time to go practice your lifeboat drill. You're in the middle of the lifeboat drill. Right. And they're not complicated. The things that I do to protect myself, which I know we've shared on the show, but it's a lot of the same stuff that sounds unbelievably simple. But one of the big ones for me is being prepared. That, as you well know, is a huge trigger for me. Sure. Is when I'm not prepared. Fill in the blank on what it is, what the performance is. I went to the gym a couple weeks ago, and I didn't go through my ritual in the morning of packing the bag. I just kind of assumed it was all in there. Got to the gym, didn't have sneakers, didn't have gym shorts. Oh, boy. Right? So (laughs) that guy 
started kicking in. Chewbacca came out. And I was like, okay, boy, it'd be so much easier to just go home. Use the convenient excuse of I didn't have my, well, so what did I do? It was not a 10-10-10 purchase, but I went and I bought a pair of gym shorts at the front desk for $27. And then the the shoes that I was wearing were good enough. And I was like, well, if I can't, wear, I'll just I'll wear socks and get on the equipment and do yeah, my thing. You can live with blisters. It is. They don't have to be heroic. They don't have to be complicated. It is just this concept of consistently doing them. Well, preparing. You're, I mean, the key here you're preparing. talking about is preparation. Preparing. Right. So whether it be what I'm going to eat for the day, whether it be, you know, I need, I'm, I'm spending the day on the road today. Where's my water coming from? I need to stay, make sure I'm hydrated. Sure. We all love to pick on my obsessive compulsive nature for a clean car. And it is nothing but that right now. It is probably the dirtiest I've ever seen it. And it annoys, <laughs> it, it, it gets at me a little bit. Sure. Just all those little, all, what are what are those things that protect your confidence? And I know for Grace last week, it was beautifully to her, her mother's great victory was her bed was made every day. Nice. That gives her peace. That yeah. gives her a little bump in her, in her step. And her bag was packed the night before for her day ahead because her day starts at about 7 a.m., and she's off to the gym for lift, and then it's just, you know, it's a series of dominoes after that pretty much until she gets back into the dorm room at 9 or 10 o'clock at night. Wait, so, so she's not sitting in her dorm room reading the news all day about what's happening geopolitically, what's happening with inflation, why the creating, stock market's down. Yeah, she's creating—well, certainly in her age bracket, not, not too many, I hope, are— consuming a lot of that information. So then let me reframe that. But She's not sitting in her dorm all day watching about- TikTok. Uh, yeah, and why Prince Harry and Meghan Markle and all their chaos and the People magazine and the, you know. Yeah, no, she is beautifully out creating her own reality. That's awesome. And there are times where it seeps in and we go back to the playbook. Yeah. Grace, what works for you? Are you tired? Are you lonely? Are you, you know, are you hungry? Are you, where are you feeling the cracks in your confidence and you have a playbook- Journaling is a big one for Grace. Mm. She's become a big fan of the journal. And if you will, as you've taught me that I've taught her, is to let it rip. Yeah. Well, one of the guests we're going to be having uh, coming on the show here at some point this year. Oprah? Close. Oh. A friend of hers who's also a very good friend of ours. He's one of our very, very important partners and friends. He's our web designer, Mark Martinez, who is a regular listener on the show. Yes, he is. Mark, I love you, brother. Shout out to uh, Mark and Vicky Martinez. M&M in, &M in website land. Exactly. Down in the we greater, love greater Phoenix area. Mark and I were having a conversation recently when I was down in Phoenix, seeing them, seeing some clients, seeing some other friends. And, you know, Mark has gone through his own major life transition here recently, which I'm not going to talk about that. He's going to come on to the show and, and, and talk a little bit about that. But the outcome of that transition, he and I were sitting there having lunch, and he was talking about the staples that he starts his day with, that there are certain staples. Isn't that, that are, bad for his stomach? Well— The metal and all that? Yeah, he tries to avoid the metal staples. I think he's using dissolvable plastic staples, but, okay. you know, who knows? But they're these basic staples that in working with nutritionists and health coaches and people in his life, it, it's a way for him to start his day and put as much stability into his footing to get his day started. I love that concept. Yeah, and, and what he was talking about with staples was, was everything from physical 
mental, spiritual. Sure. What are you putting in your body sure. first thing in the morning yeah. to give you the best chance of being able to show up into this society that has subscribed to mediocrity and right or chaos theory the chaos everything that exists in the world today what are the basic staples that you put in your body every day i'm guessing he doesn't get on his phone and go to his his favorite news scroll no he doesn't the the very he was sharing with me that the very first thing he does when he gets out of bed in the morning is similar to me when his eyes open up he has truly learned how to live his life one day at a time where as a healthy man with no plans for life to end anytime soon, but yet the reality that life is fragile and it can be taken from you anytime, he's chosen the very first thing in his day when his eyes open up to express gratitude just for the fact that he woke up, he's breathing, he's alive, he's healthy, and he gets to show up and be yeah. helpful to people. That's his emotional yeah. kind of spiritual what he fills his body with before he goes to what's going on in the world today. And interesting, I think, to me, is that he's in his 50s. I think we're allowed to say that. Yes. And this isn't anything to do with Mark, but that that is something that he's had to learn and train himself to do yes. in a lean, leaning forward versus leaning away sure. mindset on that concept. Well, and it's part of the intentionality of the community that you and I are building. I mean, I, I met Mark 20 years ago when we were coaching Little League together, and I can tell you definitively that neither of us were living with that kind of thought and intentionality sure, in life when sure. we first met. What has really brought us even closer together as friends, and where I think our friendship is closer now than it's ever been, is the fact that we have chosen this life of creating our own reality and not subscribing to everything that's happening in the world, the chaos, the mediocrity, the crazy that's happening. We've chosen to start our day in a way that we create staples in our life to put us in the best position to be able to show up in our world of excellence to the best of our ability. Physically, he talks about the very first thing he drinks in the morning is a big, tall glass of water with some lemon squeezed into it. The very first thing he puts in his body room, is that hydration. Room, room temperature. Exactly. So it just it really made me think about and go back to what am I doing to protect my confidence, and am I still honoring my morning routine? I got to talk about that on the podcast I was interviewed on this morning. Sweet. Right? What does my average day look like? And that That's was— a, Probably about 24 hours. Generally. But one of the things that I talked about on the show in the spirit of the conversation I had with Mark is that I'm generally up and out of bed somewhere around 5 a.m., but I don't actually show up in the world until around 10 a.m. Right? When we meet here in the studio to record, it's almost always at 10 o'clock in the morning. When we have our first client meetings of the day, almost always 10 o'clock in the morning. People who subscribe to the chaos, the workaholism, the mediocrity of the world that's out there today, look at me when I say my workday starts at 10 a.m. like I'm some kind of slacker. What they don't realize is the five hours before that, I'm preparing myself to live in my own reality to the best of my ability. This current environment has definitely thrown me off of that a little bit. It's a little easier because it's cold outside. I've found that the hole in my soul has started to reopen a little bit, and I find these little things like donuts and antiques and shopping and all of these oh, different yeah. negative behaviors— It'll find you. —as you a way have, to fill those up. You don't have to find it. It's going to find you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we have covered a lot of very lighthearted, <laughs> simple— 
digestible little concepts today. Ha yeah. ha. But it's timely. It is timely and timeless. It, it and it is absolutely timeless because yeah. rinse and repeat. It's going to be another march in hopefully two more years longer. But <laughs> it, it is what it is. Obviously, we have no control over that. But the playbook is the same. Yeah. And that's why I think these topics are fun to recycle. Yes, because the importance of having this conversation today and just you and me sitting here rapping the way we do really kind of helps set our community up for the guests that we have to come over the next couple of episodes, the next couple of months, because some of the topics that we're going to be bringing in are are heavy. They're meaty topics. They're, they're conversations in this world about self-esteem with the relationship with self. I've, I've got a fun one I haven't even talked to you about. What's that? We're going to be talking about fire. Fire? Yeah. Like fire, fire. We are going to have a guest on the show who you know very well. Okay. And the subject is going to be on an acronym, because I know how much you love acronyms, Ooh. on FIRE. You're going to tell me what that stands Financially for today? Financially Independent Retire Early, Ooh, which is kind of a, a wave in financial <sighs> planning land that a, a lot of people covet, and it comes at a cost. Sure. And but- so that's going to be a guest. We are very excited to have Rod... A.K.A. Ace. <laughs> Ace is slowly getting a new nickname here. Yeah. Uh, who, of course, is our podcast producer, Jeff Holden, yes. in the third seat right over here. So we're looking forward to having him on the show and talk about some very deep, meaningful conversation and experiences in his life here lately. Well, in the fire conversation, I mean, as much as that sounds like a conversation about money, I think there are some relationship with self-issues. You think? That, really? That might come out of that. Seriously? So the next handful of episodes, we're really going to... Kind of like the way you suggested to me when I first came into your office, right? I'm that guy who was chasing money to get the girl, to take care of my people. And then I'll feel good about and myself. And then I'll feel good about myself. And thank thank the heavens you were able to share with me that a very simple reverse engineering of that sequence, right? Reversing that sequence, putting the focus on self. You didn't realize I was good at Haganah. Oh, you are a Haganah expert, my friend, when it comes to those three very, very, very challenging relationships that every single one of us in the financial sobriety community have. It's that relationship with money, that relationship with our people, and that very, very elusive relationship we have with self. And it's time that we start diving deeper into that relationship with self learning how to have some unconditional acceptance for ourselves, and our guests are going to do a brilliant job of sharing their own experience, strength, and hope so that our community can continue to deepen that relationship with self, ultimately allowing them to give to their people what it is they truly need, because it ain't money and stuff, like I've learned, and then ultimately simplifying that very complex relationship with money. We've got some great shows coming up, brother. I can't wait. Me too. And with that, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety. I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. 
Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.